Awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Ruth. Uh, thanks, thanks, G. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, everyone. So, yeah, good afternoon, everyone. Yes, good, 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 good response. Yeah, everyone's getting ready for me saying that good afternoon. So yeah, I'm, I'm nice. it's nice to hear like a vibrant response back. So, so yeah, no, um, I just want to start, before I start speaking, just to thank everybody really. So like, those that don't know, it's been maybe a bit of a challenging week or two for me and my family. We've not been very well, but we've had great support from the church. And so thank you for everybody that's cooked a meal, that said a prayer. It, it's very, very much appreciated. And as you can see by the, the, the rabble at the back, like my kids are fine now. So yeah, thank, thank you very much, everybody. Um, but yeah, in, enough about me. We're going we're gonna to celebrate Jesus today and we're going to focus on Palm Sunday. So as you came in, you've probably been given like some palm crosses and um, the kids are at the back doing colouring. Um, but what we're going to focus on is really kind of delving in and as, as part of the next part of our Easter series, what is Palm Sunday about and why is it so important? So um, Ruth so eloquently read from Luke chapter 19 earlier on, and I'm going to do the same just to kind of jog our memory. So if we can open up our Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19, we're going to be dwelling in verses uh, 28 to 44 uh, today. Uh, and um, so yeah, I'll give you a minute just to find those verses and then I'll start reading away. Brilliant. So, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build on an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So, um, yeah, we, we've been in the New Testament as a church, specifically in the Gospel of Mark, uh, for a pretty long time, to be fair. I think we're probably maybe up to a year or even, to be fair, in terms of Mark. And we've been studying the life of Jesus through that Gospel. And, and as we've done that, probably quite a few Sundays, we've seen that actually some of the stories and narratives within Mark are actually found in other Gospels as well. And we've kind of focused on like how the importance of that in terms of you know, when a story is coming up again and again within Scripture, it means that the Holy Spirit is really trying to hammer home a particular message to us. 
Um, and so when we see a story like Palm Sunday, which is not in one or two Gospels, but in all four of them, there's clearly something really, really important that we are supposed to drag and squeeze out of this event, okay? Uh, so it, it's more than just a, a ceremony in isolation uh, in terms of what's happening on Palm Sunday. There is something for us as Christians 2,000 years later to be able to draw out and learn from it, really. Um, the passage is rich with so many lessons and so many pillars, really, that are, that are um, fundamental to our faith in the verses that we've just read, uh, read, uh, read sorry, this afternoon. And so hopefully you're able to see that um, as, we, as we keep working through. Um, but I think while, before we start delving into the verses, what I want to point out is that we can sometimes miss the significance of what is happening when we focus only on these verses as they're told within the Gospels um, and fail to take into account what's happened before in Scripture and actually that you know what is leading up to this moment and we can get so much more from it you know so um, I am a football fan I like sports um, and so um, often to help me understand things like this I try and get things into a sporting type of mind frame so um, thinking about like, um, so I, I don't, I say I like sports, I don't know much about golf, okay, but you can't help but kind of be swept away a little bit with, I know he's, he's fallen short unfortunately, but with Tiger Woods this week, you know, so he's, he's come to the, the Masters and on the face of it, it's like, what's the big deal, Tiger Woods, like golf champion for like the last two decades and he's at a golf championship, nothing interesting, but actually if we go back beyond the last week, and, and, and take the whole of the last year into account, he's been involved in a horrific car crash where his leg has almost been amputated. And so actually that gives a lot more gravity and weight to the events that are happening this week in which actually he's still golfing and still going. You know, when I look out, <laughs> I can see lots of, I know I'm not the only football fan here, um, and actually most of the football fans that I recognize here are actually quite miserable, apart from Dean and Isaac at the minute. Um, but <laughs> if you ask any football fan, you know, um, what their best type of 1-0 win is. They're, and you give them the option. Option A, goal in the first five minutes. Or option B, goal in the 93rd minute in injury time. Every football fan, you know, from, from Accrington Stanley to, to you know, uh, Real Madrid will tell you the goal at the end means more. The injury time winner means more. And that's because of everything that goes before it. And so... In a, in a really watered-down way, that is true also for Scripture. So, yes, okay, that Palm Sunday is important if we read it in isolation, but it means so much more because of what has happened in Scripture beforehand, what, has happened, what God has ordained to happen beforehand that's leading up to this moment. Um, and to help try, try and understand this point, I want you to take another look at the first couple of verses that we've read today. I'll read them again. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. So, like, I'm, I'm from Wolverhampton, um, as are many of you in this room, okay? So reading these verses and hearing about Bethany and Bethphage, it doesn't really necessarily mean anything the first time that we read it. Um, they are, you know, 
seemingly random locations. I don't have a great knowledge of you know, the, 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 the geography of geography full stop, to be honest, but certainly not first century geography around Jerusalem. But if we delve a little bit deeper, actually, and pay attention, there's actually these locations are dripped in spiritual significance that is relevant to us here and now today. And so to, to help us understand this a little bit more, if we were to look at a map, Bethphage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives are located to the east of the temple in Jerusalem. Um, and to understand why that's important, that they're, that they're located to the east of the temple in Jerusalem, we actually need to go back. So just like I was saying earlier, we need to go back to understand why that's important. And where we need to go back to is the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Um, so uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the book of the prophet Ezekiel, um, it kind of chronicles the life and times of Ezekiel, but also the visions that he is given um, by God um, that really foretell of God's um, plans uh, for the people of Israel in response to how they have lived their lives. So sadly, uh, the story of the Old Testament is one of a God who is loving and continuing to uh, make promises and picks a people for himself. But sadly, the response um, of Israel, which represents not just a particular race or ethnicity, but represents us as mankind, the response to the goodness of God is rebellion and sin. Um, And so Ezekiel um, chronicles basically God's response to that. And that God, as we sang earlier about how holy God is um, and and what that means. And so he cannot be around sin. He cannot be around rebellion. And so that leads him to actually have to leave the presence of the people of Israel. So chapters 10 and 11 um, actually chronicles this. So it talks about how God where he has been with the people of Israel in Jerusalem, and in response to how they're living their lives, he ha- he leaves that he leaves his presence leaves Jerusalem. So first of all, leaves the temple, and then following that, leaves the city of Jerusalem itself. But th- why we're here today is because, as sure as God is just and holy, He is also merciful. So at the same time as making that promise, uh, as as leaving, He also makes that promise within the book of Ezekiel that He will return. And in chapters 40 to 43 of Ezekiel, chronicle actually the... So this prophecy, hundreds of years before Palm Sunday, hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus, talks of the redemption of the people of Israel and the return of the glory of God after, after God has had to leave coming from the east. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of the glory of God. And so... Can you see how actually when we take what's happened before into account with what's happening in Luke chapter 19, how it carries so much more weight? Because this is more than just another chapter in Jesus' life. This is actually the fulfillment of prophecy. This is actually the fulfillment of God's promises happening right now. The glory of God coming from the east. Um, not just in Ezekiel, but also another prophet talks of this event here. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle, war, battle bow sorry, will be broken. 
He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And again, can you see, exactly as Zechariah prophesies is what happens hundreds of years later with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. He is the king. He is here bringing peace. And the relevance for that, of that to us today is, as Christians, as we're sat in church you know, on Sunday, the 10th of April, 2022, we can gain so much confidence in the God that we serve. We know that prophecy proves to us that God is true to his word, that he is faithful. So the things when we open up our Bibles, when we do our U version in the morning, whatever else it might be that you do, um, we know that actually what is written there is true. And what is written there, God will surely make come to pass. And our prayers, when we pray faithfully, we know that whether they come to, come to pass today or tomorrow or the next millennium, as may, ha- as may happen, they will come to pass if God has said it will be so. And, you know, it tells us a lot about the character of God. And, you know, this passage, Palm Sunday, tells us more about the character of Jesus. You know, because Jesus is a king. He's, he's a leader, but, but not in the way that the world would recognize a king or a leader. You know, a, a, a king is the, the epitome of, of, of power and majesty. And, you know, when you, think, when you close your eyes and you think of a king, you think of, like, robes and crowns and everything else. And, you know, I, I, I can't think of, like... Um, there's only one time that I think I've met royal, not I've not met royalty, but been near royalty um, that I can remember. I'd, I was, I think I must have been about maybe like six or seven, and um, I think Princess Diana came to Wolverhampton one time. Does anyone remember that? No. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It must have been about yeah. She, I don't know whether she came to open the police station or was that what it was? Yeah. Pauline was there. She, you met royalty then. Yeah, <laughs> very good. So I was, so Pauline was there meeting Princess Diana. I was kind of like hiding around somewhere in the background kind of thing. But I, I, I remember very little of that day. I remember, all the crowd, I remember all the crowds trying to meet the princess. But I'm pretty sure that she didn't come in on a donkey. I'm pretty sure that she didn't, you know, come, you know, even if she, I'm sure she was driven there. And I think if she was driven there, she didn't come like, you know, in a three-reeler, Robin Reliant or anything like that kind of thing. She'd have come in style like a princess. Because that is what, as humans, we associate with power. You know, if, if you're a princess, if you're a king, if you're a queen, you should look like one, you know. Otherwise, how are you proving who you are? Why, why should I respect you? Why should I let you lead me? If you don't seem, if I can't see your power, that's how we're wired to think. But here in Luke, we see Jesus as the exact opposite. He's a king on a donkey. And yeah, okay, if we think about, you know, 2,000 years ago, he probably wouldn't have been in a Bentley, but you'd expect him at least to have like, you know, a, a bright white horse or, you know, or something like that. Um, you know, he, he announces his arrival as a king, not by, you know, holding the city of Jerusalem under siege with like, you know, a, a massive, amazing army, as most kings would do in that time. Um, instead, he comes on a donkey with two fishermen from the backwaters of Galilee. That doesn't sound very powerful or authoritative, but that is the example of leadership 
and kingdom that Jesus sets for us. Because Jesus' power is not in his outward appearance, it's in his humility. And this is the exact opposite of the message that we are, quite frankly, pummeled with every second of every day. Um, you know, that we're, we're, we're told, we're taught, we're, we're sold that, you know, gobbling up every material acquisition that we could possibly get our hands on is the only way to show people how powerful we are. Um, but here is Jesus in Luke it, chapter 19 and in Palm Sunday demonstrating to us that the exact opposite is true. You know, the sad thing is you know, about the world that we live in today that even when people appear to be humble, they are often doing it with the wrong motives, with selfish motives, rather than actually wanting to make themselves less in the way that Jesus demonstrates and illustrates to us today. And the danger of this is, is that when we, when we fall for this narrative of thinking that, you know, that what we have and what we look like is what makes us leaders, the truth is that we actually fail to lead. You know? we, the exact opposite becomes true. All we do is follow, you know. It, when, when I watch the, you know, the, the advert of, you know, the brand new coat that I need and if you don't have this coat or this shoe or these trainers or whatever else it might be, then actually, then I walk down, down, down the man the center, I see that everybody's got the same trainers. Am I leading because I have the, 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 the newest trainers or the newest coat? Or am I actually just following? And, 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 and this is the, the falsehood of, the, of what we are told and sold every single day that the Bible holds up and tells us isn't true. If you open your scriptures, you see this is not how to lead. This is not the example that Jesus sets for us. Um, and we as a church need to be wary of this, you know, because following leaves us vulnerable. You know, when, when we follow instead of lead, as, as Jesus teaches us to, it leaves us vulnerable to being too high when we are praised by others and, and equally too low if people dislike us or criticize us um, because we're, we're left vulnerable to at the whim of the emotions and thoughts of everybody around us. And th there, are, there are two things that strike me about this in the, the Palm Sunday passage, you know. Well, like I said, as a church, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark for a little while now. And, and actually, this is not the first time, by a long shot, that anybody has tried to suggest that Jesus is the Messiah. But actually, up until this point, most times, you know, whether it's a demon or a member of the public, Jesus has not embraced the idea of, pe of people publicly calling him the Son of God or publicly calling him the Messiah. Actually, he's gone at pains to make them be quiet and stop them from doing that. And actually, we've seen again and again in our studies of Mark that actually where the fuss has come up and where the crowds have got excited and wanted to follow him, Jesus has gone far away from that as he can. Actually, we, I, mean, I think the last time I was standing here, actually, he, he went to like the, 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 went to Tyre. He went as far, to, which, you know, is, is the opposite. It's like a wolf's van going to West Brom. It's the opposite place of where you'd want to be kind of thing. So just, just to get away from the crowds. But actually here on Palm Sunday, we're seeing something exactly opposite. We're seeing that actually Jesus is orchestrating um, this mo and embracing this moment of adulation from the people. And I think what, what I can see from this is that actually Jesus' actions 
are not determined in this in this chapter by what is happening um, around him and what people say, because if they were, then actually this moment would have happened so much earlier on in his ministry. Actually, Jesus' actions are determined by God's timing and by the will of his Father. Thinking along the same lines, Jesus is being praised and adored by the entire city. There are thousands of people calling him king. They're calling him to save, him, save them as their hero. You know, he, he should be on the highest of highs. You know, he, he should be ending the passage, giving Peter and John like a high five, doing the flask, doing a dab, like absolutely smash that. He should be on top of the world. But what does our Bible tell us that Jesus' response to the praise and adoration of all these people is? He cries. He weeps. That makes no sense, you know? Except that his emotions are not dictated by the emotions of those around him, but his emotions are in line. His passions are in line with the Father above. They are in line with the will. I dictated from that. And there is so much that we can learn from that, you know? Because if I ask myself, and by doing so, ask you, how often can we say that that is true for us, you know? that we are happy to be patient with our desires and the things that we want um, until they align with what God wants. Or that we are able to make our passions and our emotions subject to God and not run with them every time that we feel angry or upset by something that somebody said. The Holy Spirit that inspired scripture and the events that we read about today is the same spirit that lives in us as Christians. You know, last week, Graham read from Philippians 2.13, you know, which talks about the Spirit of God in us as Christians that acts and wills according to God's will in us. Okay, So from that, God above should be the one determining our actions, should be the one determining the timing of what we do, um, not the wants or the emotions of people around us. We need to stop following people around us. Stop following our emotions, but actually humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before God, and actually, in a roundabout way, that's the way that we lead. Jesus' character shines so clearly in this Palm Sunday passage because the light and purity of who he is contrasts so greatly with the vanity and darkness of the human condition, quite frankly, which is also evident in these verses. The people of Jerusalem are praising and welcoming Jesus here as they believe that he is here to save them from Roman rule and oppression, that he's there to liberate them. They perceived that their biggest issue was the fact that the Romans were there, the Romans were occupying you know, um, the promised land. But actually, they failed to see that their biggest issue, in fact, was that they were ostracized from God. They made the incorrect diagnosis of their problem. And so consequently, they were unable to attain the solution that they needed to their issues. Jesus' words in verse 42, I'll read them again with this. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And 
like I said at the outset, this, this is not just a word about you know, the people of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. This is about us. It's about humans. Okay? And actually the same mistakes that were being made on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago are very much still being made today. You know, we, we don't have to turn very far to find people that are happy and willing to diagnose the cause for all the problems in the world. You know, whether it's the government, it's the cost of living crisis, privatization of the NHS, climate change, you name it. You know? Or equally, we don't have to turn far for people to find, um, to find people suggesting solutions to the problems in the world. You know? Whether that is um, Boris in, Boris out, uh, tax the rich, whatever else it might be, etc., etc. You guys can give me more examples than I can give to you. Okay? These conversations are important. Of course they are. But the truth is that the world is unable to find the peace that they are seeking, that we are all seeking. Because just like the people of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, the truth is hidden from their eyes. And our job as a church is not to follow and desperately try to give a clever opinion on each of these incorrect diagnoses that are given and spoken about on social media, on television, or wherever else it might be. It's not to offer medicine for the wrong diagnosis. Our Bible tells us the diagnosis. Guys, the diagnosis is sin. Okay? And the verses that we read today show us what brings peace. And the medicine for the diagnosis is Jesus Christ. Okay? And as a church, this is the most important conversation that we can possibly have. And this is the conversation that we need to be having with our neighbors, with our friends, with our colleagues, with our family. This is the root of what we need to be speaking about. Because for those whose eyes are hidden, just like Jesus spoke about for the people of Israel 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday, the outcome being judgment, the truth is that is what lies ahead for those within here in Wolverhampton 2,000 years later without us witnessing and telling them about the, the correct diagnosis and what they need. The only way for people to know, you know what brings peace, the king of peace that Zechariah spoke about hundreds of years ago is for us to be shouting about it as a church. Moreover, Palm Sunday models how people's eyes are opened spiritually. You know, Jesus being king means us responding to his humility with humility ourselves. You know, the, the people of Jerusalem take the very cloaks off their back um, to welcome the king to their city. Are you prepared to take the cloak off your back to welcome Jesus, to, to sacrifice what you have to welcome him into your life and into your heart? Or is the cost too much? Until we do, realistically, church, how can we expect Jesus to be glorified? What, what is different about us to those outside? Unless we're willing to make that sacrifice. I'll ask you again, are we, are we prepared to welcome Jesus into our lives despite the sacrifice and actually despite what 
Jesus being in our lives might mean as an outcome, you know? The, the, the Jews today, 2,000 years ago, were welcoming Jesus Christ into their city as the, the darling of their city. But Jesus responded to that by prophesying destruction of their city. And within the, with, I think the following couple of days, he's, he's in the temple, he's turning their temple upside down. That, that was his response to being the darling of their city. Um, that made them feel uncomfortable. How, how did they process their discomfort? They went from calling him the king of peace, blessed is he in the highest, to what we'll celebrate this time next week is them, well, we'll celebrate and be resurrected, but on Friday we'll, cele we'll celebrate and reflect on the fact that they've taken him from the king of peace to a corpse on a tree in five days. That was their response to Jesus shining, the, shining a light on the truth of who they really are. Are we willing to welcome Jesus into our life to shine the light on the truth of who we are and actually as you know, whether we know him yet, how much we need to change our lives, but even if we profess ourselves as Christians, are we willing to open up scripture and look in that mirror of the Bible and realize actually how far we are still falling short and actually ask for his grace every single day for us to continue to make those steps to be who he has called us to be or are we going to shut it away and crucify him? Yeah. Um, Charles Spurgeon uh, ha has a brilliant sermon on Palm Sunday as he has a brilliant sermon on pretty much everything that you can think of. Um, within that, he makes this point wonderfully. Um, I'll read some of the words that he said, because he, he makes the point that actually, in none of the Gospels is it mentioned about the city gates of Jerusalem. These are his words. On that day, when Christ came up from Bethany, the city gates were wide open. We read nothing about them because they were not in the way. There were no shut gates to him. He rode into Jerusalem without let or hindrance. Guys, for Jesus to be truly glorified in our lives, the gates of our hearts, of our lives, need to be wide open. We need to welcome him, no matter how humbling or painful the cost, because he is the peace that we need. You see, I've spoken how Palm Sunday is a nod to the past, in that it's not just a, a triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, but it was actually the return of the glory of God to Jerusalem. But as well as that, it's also a nod to the future because Jesus will be praised and glorified um, on a scale that you and I can only imagine once more. He came as king 2,000 years ago and we believe he is coming again. And everyone will praise and acknowledge him then. It's a curious one that I feel that in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, um, the story of Palm Sunday is preceded by uh, miracles of um, the blind men being able to see. And in the Gospel of John, the story of Palm Sunday is preceded by the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. You see, 
I spoke about the human condition earlier. And the truth is that without Jesus, we are blind. Without Jesus, the Bible tells you very clearly, you are dead in your sins. Okay. But Jesus Christ brings sight. He brings light. Thank God, Jesus Christ brings life. And when someone is born again and raised from being dead in their sins to alive in him, in those moments, he is glorified as king. Um, will you open your eyes and be born again today? Will you let Jesus be glorified in your life today? I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we worship you as king. We praise you and adore you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us 2,000 years ago and the lessons that we can learn and continue to learn from how you modeled how to be the perfect human being as well as being God himself. Lord Jesus, help us to learn humility, humility to you and humility to those around us. Help us to recognize um, the damage that sin's done. And for those of us that don't know you, we pray your Holy Spirit will intervene and open our eyes and raise us from the dead that we might be born again. <laughs> for those of us that do know you, we pray that you will make us alert to the lies and falsehoods of the world around us and the need for us as Christians as a church to be telling a different story and to be telling a better story to those around us. Most of all, Jesus, we pray that your name will be glorified in each of us today. Amen.